Welcome back to another episode of the podcast from the depths of darkness to the light of success. I am your host, Chris Swick. And on this show, everyone is welcome. Doesn't matter what walk of life you come from. I believe everyone's story is valuable at the end of the day. We all have a story. We all have trauma somewhere in our life, whether it goes back generations or not. I believe everyone has trauma. And I believe it's important to share your stories. Everything from mental health, addictions, eating disorders, wrongfully convicted people. We've had them all on this show, guys. And I want to break that stigma around anything anyone's afraid to talk about today. And today, we have an amazing guest from the Mississauga area of Ontario and a little small community just south of there called Port Credit. That's an old town there, but they call it Mississauga now. JT? Yeah, they do, dude. Everything got amalgamated. Yeah, no, I got JT Wahlberg. He's an author. We're going to talk about sobriety, a few other things on this show today, but you want to take it away and let them know a little bit about you, JT? Sure, Chris. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity to have a, a great discussion on your platform here. I'm the guy that got sober in the dumbest way possible. I drinking booze, cold turkey, and it damn near killed me. And why is it a bad idea to quit cold turkey? Let me tell or you. In your own words, I guess. <laughs> For sure, brother. It's bad to quit drinking cold turkey because Alcohol is one of two drugs that can kill you if you withdraw from it incorrectly. The other being uh, benzodiazepine addictions. Famously, Jordan Peterson was in a similar situation to me when he was trying to get off benzos. I got drunk one last time and thought I'd wake up the next day with a little bit of a hangover and, and never drink again. And about uh, 65, 70 hours later, I was in the emergency room near death. And what was that experience like for you, JT? Those 70 odd hours were... Yeah, like leading was, up to that emergency room visit. It was a straight trip. I make a bad joke in the book about if I was able to bottle up that and, and sell it as... Uh, some sort of uh, non-addictive drug, we'd all have one hell of a ride. I went through some of the craziest stuff I've ever been through. I've done lots of drugs in the past, hallucinogens and other crazy things and combinations thereof and had some crazy trips, but never until I went through that withdrawal did I ever experience something so frightening and enlightening at the, at the same time. It, it must be wild. Like I remember having the withdrawals too coming off the drugs and stuff that I was doing. And it was just insane. It was worse than doing them. Then coming off the antipsychotics I was on, I, I don't suggest this. Like I talked not too long ago on a podcast I was a guest on too. I don't suggest doing this though, but I came off all my antipsychotics, cold turkey as well. That must have been a few days of hell for me. I will tell you that like my neighbors at the condo probably hated me. Just the, the night terrors I was having, I was just screaming and yelling and just uncontrollably because I, yeah, you're not supposed to come off these things cold turkey. I did some reading after and yeah, I should have went to my doctor and weaned off them too, but. Yeah, we have a similar experience in that regard, Chris. I, I did no research. I got uh, sober in August of 2014. So it's just rolled seven years and I had Google, YouTube, everything at my fingertips and my drunk ego was in such 
amazingly tight control of, of my life that it didn't allow me to do anything like that. Like even just punching simple Google search, like how to withdraw from alcohol. I didn't do any of that because that ego piece, I didn't think I had a problem. I had my best mate in, in the world, uh, Mike Prue, the guy I dedicated the book to. I have two conversations with me. He's like, Man, you're in a bad way. You're going to die if you don't get your shit sorted out here. And then I just made the decision, oh, I'll, I'll quit for him. I'll just try it. And again, not doing any research, damn near, near killed me. And, and I went through the craziest stuff. What would you do if you did not care what others thought today, JT? Man, that's a great question, Chris. That's a question that I, I've never been posed before. If I didn't care what others thought, I'd probably be dead. I, I would have dragged myself to death at, at some point in the ensuing seven years since I've been sober. There's no doubt in my mind. I was so down in, in the darkness that I couldn't see any light. I love that you say that, man, because there's been so many of us that have been down in that darkness and couldn't see that light to the end of the tunnel till the next day. Sometimes it was minute by minute for me just struggling to get through. What were some of the things that were dragging you down? You know, I don't want to say making you drink, but was there past traumas or things that had happened in your life that you decided to turn to booze as a coping mechanism? Oddly enough, Chris, and as strange as it sounds, and I appreciate and I love your platform and I know you believe in the trauma aspect of addiction and life in general. There was no touchstone traumatic incident in my life. I, I'm pretty blessed. I grew up upper middle class kid. My parents got divorced when I was 15. I've had therapists t tell me that I've handled that quite well, but I just liked not feeling like myself and slowing my brain down. So I, upon reflection all these years later and, I, and through writing the book, I, I just come to realize that I just liked not feeling like myself. And I got addicted to a substance that is highly addictive. So I had to forgive myself for, for, for making that mistake and, and going down that path. Uh, I don't regret any of it. It's, it's gotten me to where I am here today, having a great conversation with you. And I wouldn't have it any other way. I know that's quite ridiculous or, or maybe cliche, but that's the honest truth. No, I, and there's some people out there that they haven't had things, but they just like feeling that outer body experience, if you want to call it that. Sure. And not feel like them, their normal self, like you just said. And it's true. Like I've had people that haven't gone through anything either and they just like the higher, they like that feeling and then they became addicted to it. And then it took them down some dark paths and dark roads. And it's hard to get back out of those dark roads, but I stand to stand a fighting chance another day because I chose to live a clean life today, which is amazing. I have a roof over my head again, a beautiful fiance. I get to talk to amazing men and women like yourself. It's just a, truly a blessing for sure, JT, man. And I appreciate you being on this platform to share, share your experiences as well, man. I, I, I think you nailed it there when you said about chances and going back to your previous question, I didn't think I had many options and I didn't think that I had any chances and I was willing to give it a shot, not for myself, but for, for my friend, my best mate, Mikey. And I now have that opportunity to, to tell my story and, and to, to connect with folks on, on a level where I, I think a lot of folks 
are feeling like they don't have anybody to connect with. They don't have anybody to, to, to lean on, or they don't have a mic in their life that is going to look out for them and give them that nudge. And, and the folks that are listening can hear us having a conversation openly and honestly about these really crazy things that, that we did and did to ourselves and did to our loved ones. And we can have these conversations without judgment and, and we can all get something from it. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Yeah. And appreciate you saying that. Cause it's so true. We, the wreckage we caused and the train wrecks we caused in our past, it, it's complete and utter insanity that I'm still alive today. I find it insane that I'm still walking this earth with the craziness that I did. I don't, we don't need to sit here and glorify our things or whatever. Cause it, we could have a pissing match all day. Who did what and who did it better? You know what I mean? We could, we could. And that's what, it, it's not about that though. It's about how we got better and the thing and the tools we have in our tool belt today to get better, you know, like talking about it like we are writing those thoughts down, writing a book like you did yourself. Let's talk about that book a little bit. What's the title of that book, JT? It's called, I forgot to stay sober. How I nearly died kicking my addiction to alcohol. The, I, and where can people find that? It's everywhere on the internet, whatever book, uh, buying platform you use, Amazon, Google. I read the audio book for it as well. That's available on audio. Audible and through Amazon as well. And I think it's on the Apple platform. Okay. Uh, it's not in brick and mortar yet. Obviously with everything that's going on in the world, there, there wasn't uh, when I, the book got released, there wasn't the opportunity to drop it in, in brick and mortar stores. It didn't make a lot of sense, but that's uh, something that we're going to do early winter. We'll, uh, we'll get it out there as things start to open up and we can go shopping in, in bookstores for the Christmas season. It'll be around there too. That's amazing, man. And it's amazing because this book, I haven't, I've yet to read it. JT did send me a thing. I just, I, I get sent so many books. I'll be honest with from like all these authors and guests that I've had on it's, you can't read all the books at once. So one book at a time I try to do with my ADHD. I, I can't, if I start six, 16 projects, I'll never get them all done. I'm familiar with the, the ADHD. My, my father-in-law is, he used to have a platform called Totally ADD. He did a documentary with PBS. He's formerly the co-creator, writer, producer of the Red Green Show. Oh, wow. Yeah. So well, that's your father-in-law. Yeah. That's, that's Marta's dad. So I'm quite familiar. He's a, I would, I. He probably wouldn't appreciate it if I called him an expert in the space, but now he does. Rick wants to know is his new project. Okay. Nice. But yeah. He, and people can find that out over on like Instagram and stuff like that. Yeah, is he on Instagram? Yeah. They can just search up Rick Green. Rick wants to know is his Instagram handle and he's on uh, Discord, Patreon, all that stuff. Okay. And, and he's happy to, to talk all about not just ADHD, but all kinds of cool stuff. Nice. So that's amazing to have that sort of in your family and stuff like that. That's awesome. The Red Green Show. I used to love watching the Red Green Show growing up. I thought it was a great show. Oh yeah, for sure. It's an iconic Canadian comedy for sure. <laughs> I actually saw a, a live taping of it with my father in I think 2000. 99 or, oh, nice. 99 or 2000. Yeah, it was, it was crazy how we had that. Like, Marta and I had that in common and didn't even know before we ever met each other. It was cool. Oh, that's amazing. And then your partner came along after that, obviously. 
Yeah, her mom and my mom worked together for five or six years at the nursery. So I knew Marta's mom for years before I ever met Marta. Oh, that's amazing. And has she been with you before you got sober or was it after you got sober that you met her? No, we've been together two and a half years. Oh, yeah. It took me, uh, took me quite a long time to go down into the basement and do all that, that deep, dark shadow work and, and learn to love myself. And it's amazing when you start to do that, how much healthier your existing relationships become and you put yourself out there and, and the moms, that's what we call them. They said, Hey, you guys should go on a date. And we fell in love and hit it off in a way yeah, together ever since. So that's amazing, man. No, congratulations on that too. It's, it's crazy. What, like you said, once you start loving yourself, ah, how much easier it is to love others. But first you got to be able to do that inner work and love yourself first. Cause you're of no use to anyone else if you can't even love yourself. I agree 100%. I don't, I never worked and I still don't work a 12 step program. I, you mentioned your toolbox earlier. I call it my arsenal of awesomeness. I, I don't really work a 12 step program. I'll be honest either anymore since the beginning of COVID. That's why I started this platform and I have my own opinions and I'll keep my own opinions. I'll talk about them a little bit, but like, I just have my own opinions about the 12 step program and the people that are in it sometimes. And it doesn't matter. I can work my own recovery out. It does, not everyone has to have a 12 step program to be clean and sober. Do you know what I mean? And there's so many cliches in that as long as I know, and I know you'd know if I wasn't clean and sober, cause I wouldn't have shown up to do this interview with you. Trust me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel you brother for sure. For sure. Like you said, your toolbox, I call it my arsenal of awesomeness. I just learned what worked, what didn't I've, I've never relapsed. I never will because I built my own program for lack of a better word. And, and it's what works for me. And I know what I, when I feel like making unhealthy decisions, what I have to lean into and where I have to go inside me to, to get past those. Exactly. And, and I like that you say that even for myself. I, I personally, I was a huge, I wasn't huge into drinking or whatever, but it still, it was part of the problem and it was the drugs, but I love the taste of beer and they've come out with so many great non-alcoholic choices. And I enjoy a few of those once in a while and there's nothing wrong with that, but I, I find there's lots of judgy people not to take away from the program works for some people, but I just, once you start opening up and it's all about being honest and open and you start opening up with that stuff, they don't look, they look at you a different way. So I step myself back and mm -hmm. I do my thing and I, and I work my program and it works for me. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, like you just said, I love that you said that. Yeah, exactly. I, I just, and if a piece that I put on at some point in the past seven years turned out to, to not work, it just didn't fit. It wasn't part of that arsenal of awesomeness. I just took it out. And I didn't, I didn't have to consult anybody. I didn't have to present anyone the reasons why that didn't work. I just dropped it. Exactly. So it's, it's like people come and go in your life. Tools can come and go too. For sure, brother. I agree a hundred percent, man. So does awareness of consciousness have benefits? For sure. If you're not aware of the, the mistakes that you're making, and I'm only speaking from my own experience here because I wasn't aware how badly I was hurting myself. I, I was doing this sub and unconsciously, and it took my best mate 
to have these two different conversations with me before to, to, to make me aware and to bring that to my conscious level of thinking that maybe I am hurting myself and maybe I am hurting others, which at the time was more important to me than my own physical and mental well-being when it came to my addiction to alcohol. I didn't, it didn't sit well with me that I was putting my family and friends in a bad spot with, with the extent of my addiction and how much I was drinking. And what were your thoughts or what were the thoughts of your family members and friends as they see, as they saw you deteriorating, you know, back seven, eight, seven, eight years ago when it, 2014 at the end, what were they done with this shit? No, man. Mikey was the only one that, that really reached out to me. Everyone personally, professionally, there was talk, but all of my family and friends drank or, or still drink, smoke a lot of pot, do some mushrooms, maybe some cocaine. And what I l realized looking back was that nobody wanted to shine a light on me and my addiction because they were worried that someone else would question their choices and how healthy they were for them. And I, I found that in talking to a lot, lots of folks in recovery and, and, and a lot of folks not in recovery when it comes to that, like I said, that light being shined back on them. It's a mirror you reflect back. So I've been told countless times that I was like a, a super ninja when it came to my drinking to the point where folks that were really close to me had no idea the extent until they heard that I'd written a book or my closer family and friends and, and my coworkers at the time, they didn't realize until they found out that I hadn't, I didn't have the flu in August and I missed the four or five days of work because I'd been in the emergency room because I withdrew from alcohol incorrectly and it damn near killed me. So nobody really knew except Mike. And then how did it come out to your parents sort of thing or your family after Everything was said and done at the time. So on that, I got really wasted for that last time on a Sunday. By the Wednesday, a friend's wife who was in a 12-step program and she'd been sober about two years had called me and said that she was going to take me to a, a meeting. At this point, Mikey had made some calls that had come out that, like I said, JT didn't have the flu. That's not why he's missing work. He's struggling with alcohol addiction. And she said, how are you feeling right now? Describe what's going on. And I told her, I wasn't even sure if this conversation was real. I hadn't eaten. I had drank anything in, in nearly three days. I had fallen down all over the house, woken up, was tripping out. would be a great word to describe it. And she said, you need to go to the hospital right now. She said, you could die. And I said, oh, okay, uh, I guess I'll go to the hospital. And so I called my mom, like... A lot of us do, you know, I was a grown ass man. I was 38 years old. I called my mom because I was in a bad way. And I said, Hey mom, I'm not feeling really well. And I still didn't tell her what was going on. I said, I'm not feeling really well. I haven't been feeling well for a couple of days. I, I need to go to the hospital. And she said, Oh, okay. I said, can you come and, and pick me up? And she said, no, I've, I've been drinking at the pub, which is a great decision for my mom not to make, uh, to drinking and driving. 
So I took it myself to the ER in, in, in a taxi and that's, uh, pretty much, uh, my mom called my sister and that's how they knew that I was in such a bad way. And my mom to this day, I don't press anyone when it comes to reading the book. If, if they've told me they've got the book or I've given a, someone a copy, I'm, I, I don't ever follow up and say, you know, Hey, what, did you read it? What did you think? I don't know if my mom's made it all the way through the book, but I do know from my sister that my mom still doesn't want or choose to believe that her kid was in such a bad way and she didn't realize it. Uh, it's like that for lots of family members. They, what's the lack of a better words, naive about it. My mom was the same way. She didn't want to like, or even I've had family members, other family members in my family too. They had no way my son or my kids this bad or whatever, but trust me, it is that bad. I've been with them. You know what I mean? I used to be there with them and it is that bad. My mom didn't want to believe it, but until I sort of just laid it all out, no mom, this is the way it was. This is how bad it was. This is what I was doing every night, every day in and day out that they, it's almost like they turned a blind eye and didn't want to believe that was the shit I was doing for so long. Yeah. It, it's, it took me a long time to, to come to terms with the fact that I was so good at hiding it and that's, I'm not bragging about it by any stretch of the imagination, but I've had so many people since the book came out that reached out through social media and they're like, dude, I had no idea that you were like that bad that when you tried to quit or not tried, I did quit. But when you quit that you almost died. It's crazy because we, as people in active addiction, I, I, other people can maybe attest to this. I know for myself, I was a pretty good chameleon at hiding things. I could uh, just sneak in with any crowd sort of thing and just m mingle in and, and keep on partying sort of thing. Like I was, I was a pretty good chameleon at times, just blending in with everyone, depending on what crowd we were with, I'd have to figure out how I had needed Dax sort of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Like, the reason I called the, the book, I forgot to stay sober. It's because that's what I used to say to my dad for years when I had to bail on Sunday dinner with him and, and his wife and my sister. I'd go, oh, we had plans or whatever. And I'd be like, oh, dad, Sunday football, woke up, made some chili, started drinking beers with the boys. Sorry, I forgot to stay sober for, to come over for dinner tonight. Yeah. That, uh, that's where that whole piece came from. And we come up with those excuses all the time for sure. Oh yeah. There's always an excuse. For sure. And he used to just laugh it off. Oh, son. And the most ridiculous ones too, sometimes we'd come up with. Like, <laughs> I, yeah, thinking back on it, I, I'm sad that I missed out on all those, those times because I, I couldn't keep myself sober for a family dinner, but. Or I would do the same thing though, too. I would make an excuse up or start a fight or something. And then I'm not going to this. I'm not going to this or I'm not doing this. You know what I mean? And oh, for sure. Like I would say my mom would be like, how much booze is there? Oh, I'm not going. It's, it's a dry event. I'm not going. Or I'd, I'd bring, I'd bring my own booze and I'd make up an excuse as to why I, oh, going to, this is always such a bore. I brought my flask and nobody ever said anything to me about it you know it's different today i find um, but people are very understanding though too i don't know about yourself do you get bothered when 
people ask you why you don't drink or whatever, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. I don't, I ju they should just accept the answer though. I don't drink anymore. Yeah. It, or I don't drink or no, I don't drink. It's crazy. Alcohol, saying no to alcohol, the drug, and let's be clear, alcohol is a drug. We both know that. Uh, 100%. What alcohol is the only drug that when you say no to, you have to defend your decision. If you offered me heroin right now, you said, Hey JT, do you want to shoot some heroin into our butts? I'd just be like, no, man, I'm good. And you'd be like, oh, okay, cool. But if you offered me, oh, you want to have a couple of uh, Bombay and tonics? I'd be like, uh, and if I said, no, Chris, I'm cool. You'd be like, why? Come on, man. What? You're driving? Got a meeting tomorrow? Oh, come on. You can just have a couple. You're like, it's just one. It's just two. And it blows my mind that we've become so conditioned to alcohol. It's so, it's so prevalent in, in our lives that. When you say no, you're abstaining. You have to come up with a bunch of excuses. At the end of the day, no's no. That's so that it doesn't matter. Yeah, why. right. Like I've early days, Chris. I used to make up. I, I just took. I applied the same logic and all of the, those ninja super spy skills when I was drinking to hide my drinking, to not drinking. So I'd be at these philanthropic events, charity functions. And I would go to the bartender and be like, look, can I have soda water in a rocks glass with some ice and a lime? Because it looks like a gin and tonic or it looks like a vodka soda. And if anybody asked me if I, oh, can I get you a drink? I'd just be like, nope, I'm good. I got it. I'm fine here. Thanks. And yeah, like, I got called out by, by a psychologist at one of the events. And it was like, you've been, she'd be like, you've been nursing that one drink for a long time. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Interesting that you noticed that. I was like, I don't drink. And she was like, so it's like soda or whatever. I was like, yeah. And she was like, are you in recovery? I said, yeah, I've been sober for a couple of years. And she said, oh, interesting that you feel that you've got to do that. I said, ma'am, I don't think you understand the amount of pressure that your friends or even a complete stranger can put on you if you try to say no to a drink, especially in a, in a in a setting like this, it's crazy. I, I feel you there for sure. It's, it's weird the way society has, but I, I feel it's gotten better. You know what I mean? Like pretty much everyone that knows me now knows I'm in recovery. I'm clean and sober and stuff like that. So I don't get bothered. Like I've said it enough sort of thing. I'm pretty open about yeah, right? it with my social media and those types of things. And most, pretty much all of my family knows too. So it's good. That's a good feeling in that sense. You know what I mean? So. I don't get bothered at all. And I don't get bothered if there are people drinking around me either. It, that does not bother me. Oh, for sure. I agree. I do, it doesn't phase me at all. I, one of the things coming out of the emergency room, like when I walked out of there about 12 hours later, again, medical advice, I made some decisions quick, fast that I, because of my new lifestyle choice that I was now at that time in my head, I was just attempting to live a sober life that I would not expect anyone to, to change their lifestyle to fit mine. And if I couldn't be in a situation where alcohol was flowing and drugs were being taken, then I would just remove myself from that situation. Like I remember being asked by my mom and by my closest friends, Hey, come over for dinner. There's no, no wine won't be served. There'll be no booze. And I'd be like, nobody is going to go out of their way to accommodate my choices. If I can't handle it, I'll tell you, no, thank you. I'm not feeling strong enough right now to, to, to go through that. 
or or you have the option to yeah, leave exactly. as well if you want. Or if I, and and I've made those decisions too. Hundred percent. If you're feeling a little overwhelmed, I just uh, I'd look at my sister and just say, give her the Navy SEAL signal, like I'm out. I wouldn't say goodbye or anything. She'd just give me the Navy SEAL signal back, and I'd leave. She'd text me, "You're good." Yeah, I'm just walking home. I just I'd had enough. I I, I was feeling like I was going to make an unhealthy decision, so I had to get my butt out of there. For sure, man. And I like that you say that though, because we can all make those healthy choices as well. And we got to learn when to, if you're not strong enough or you should always have an escape route or whatever it is. If you don't feel comfortable enough, you can, Hey, I'm just leaving. I'm going home. I, me and my partner sort of talk about that, but I've come, become really comfortable. I don't put myself in those stupid situations anymore either where I'm going to be around a ton of drugs or anything, because that's not my lifestyle anymore. I don't, there's people that drink i'll go out to a bar and i'm happy to be the dd now and have a good time some of the best times i've had i'll tell you right now i've been sober for sure dude for sure and i think back i remember going to like the first concert sober and for first anything sober and i was like man i missed out on a lot of cool stuff because i was so fucked up so true, man. I missed out on a lot as well. I'm happy to be sober and clean today, just like yourself. And it's just amazing, JT. Oh, before we go today, sorry, no, I say I'm going to agree with you again, man. I, I, I think you and I are uh, on the same page. We, you know, share similar experiences and that, and it's cool, man. I, I appreciate your awesomeness. I appreciate your awesomeness, awesomeness too. I can't even speak there today. But I have a what the fuck question of the day. Sure. What's the most ridiculous fact that the most ridiculous fact I know is that dolphins rape each other. I love it. And is this true facts? Yeah. Like they, so the reason why females will go and sleep with all of the males is because when they're in Estes, they, so if they have a child, the baby dolphin needs to stay with the mom for years and they won't mate. So the males will kill the babies and the baby dolphins. And then the males just go. And even if they know a a female is, is, is pregnant, they'll still have sex with them. So these dudes just go around and have unwanted sex with all of the lady dolphins and that's the the most weird fucking thing that i know that is ridiculous I, i'm gonna have to do some oh yeah there's plenty of documentaries on that and i was just but <laughs> their cerebral cortex is something like 40 percent bigger than ours like these are some of the most oh wow intelligent they're very intelligent oh yeah we have no idea like we know that they communicate we know that they have different dialects we know so much about them, but we really know nothing about them. I, yeah, that, that's probably the craziest thing. Beautiful creature. I'd always love to see something like I've seen them. I've seen them, I think down in like Disney world or whatever, when I was a kid. But other than that, like I see my friends that live in Florida now posting pictures along the ocean where they live and this, the dolphins swimming in the bays every morning. It's beautiful. And yeah, there's so much crazier and cooler than that. I, yeah, I, I went down a rabbit hole on YouTube and I was like, what? That's an amazing question. I, I had no <laughs> idea that was coming. I, I, I love that. Hey, you never know what's coming on this That's show. That's awesome. Yeah. Hopefully I didn't freak out here, buddy, in your audience out too much with that fact. Uh, that's okay. 
Uh, you get, they get a random thing. That's why it's the what the yeah, fuck that's question. Awesome. But before we go, where can everyone find you? And fi- you, you've already said earlier on your book, but where can everyone go uh, find you? On social media and stuff, they want to follow you. Everything you. is at JT Wahlberg. So the website's JT Wahlberg. Simple. Yeah, just nice, simple, straightforward. Instagram is where I'm most active. Facebook scares me. That's a, we could have a whole nother conversation on that. So if anybody's looking to, to, to reach out, get in touch, ask questions, I, I will answer every question that comes my way to the best of my ability. Uh, very much like you, sir, uh, I'm not shy and, uh, and I'm willing to have a conversation about, about anything. And if, if you're listening and you don't know who or who to turn to or what to do next, by all means, hit me up. I'm not a professional. I can get you in touch with professionals or I can just shut up and listen. I appreciate that you say that, man. That's key just to shut up and listen sometimes and just show that empathetic empathy to others, just sitting back and listening, shutting your mouth, opening those ears. Again, like JT said, we are not medical professionals on this show. We just share our experiences, strengths, and hope what's, you know, got us better. And we're here to help others with one story at a time, basically. And before I go though, I do Really love if everyone could head over to Apple Podcasts or Anchor FM, Apple Podcasts, and leave, write me a review, good or bad. I love getting feedback. It's nice to see that feedback and get those reviews, and it really helps the show out, guys and gals. And head over to Anchor FM. You can leave me a voice message there, too. Maybe it'll get played on an, an episode sometime. But thank you again for coming on the show today, J- JT, and sharing your story, man. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on, Chris. You're doing amazing things with your platform. I appreciate you. Thank you so much, man.